listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter number six. We're getting close to the end of this New Testament letter that Paul wrote while he was in kind of jail. He was in house arrest, so he wasn't behind bars, but he was guarded by Roman authorities, and he was basically waiting for his trial before Caesar. Paul had stirred up a riot with the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and they were trying to kill him, and and the Romans stepped in and said, what are you people doing? And they started talking about this guy who had broken their laws, and, and they had him pulled up, and as they were pulling him up to try to just settle everybody down, he's like, hey, y'all, I'm a Roman citizen. And they're like, okay, this changes everything. So they took him to some, to some barracks, to their own barracks, and they started asking him some questions. And, and basically, come to find out, Paul had stirred them up religiously, but it didn't have anything to do with the Romans. They just wanted the city quiet. So they intended to move him away out of, the, uh, out of the, the city so that people could just settle down. They got him safely away. He spent some time in Caesarea Philippi speaking to the governor there and to the, uh, the sort of king of the Jews, Herod Agrippa. And, and they weren't satisfied, and, and he wasn't assured that he was going to get out. And so he finally says, you know what, let's just cut to the chase. I'll plead my case to Caesar. They put him on a boat. He actually was shipwrecked on the boat, but he finally made it to Rome where now he is under house arrest. And he's written this letter to the church in Ephesus. In fact, he wrote a couple of other letters to churches. He wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. He wrote a letter to the church in Colossae. And he wrote a letter to an individual he had met by the name of Philemon. So these four letters Paul has written while under house arrest. And basically the first half of this letter, Paul has been pouring out himself, reminding the people of who they are in Christ. These are believers. These are followers of Jesus. And he's reminding them how blessed and sealed and powerful they are because they are in Christ, because Christ has, uh, has, has redeemed them by faith, by grace, through faith. They have been brought into the family, and now they have everything they need at their disposal Uh, It kept in the heavenlies for them to accomplish anything God asked them to do or to be. And he's just encouraging them. And he gets to chapter 4. And he says, now based on who you are in Christ, now I want you to live that out. And he starts going in, in all of these directions, encouraging them how they are to live because they are in Christ. Not in order to be in Christ, but their behavior is to reflect their new life that they have by faith in the death and resurrection alone in Jesus alone. And so he starts talking to them about how they are to walk, how they are to live. They're to walk, they're to live in unity together. They're to live in holiness in their actions. They shouldn't be living according to the way they used to live. That's the old man. That one was put to death. We need to be living according to the new life that is ours, the one that is fueled and directed by God himself. We need to be unified. We need to be holy. We need to walk in love. 
We need to walk in, in, the, in the way of Christ's love, imitating the love of God that is forgiving and the love of Christ that is sacrificial. Our life should be characterized by the way we love as children of God. We are to walk in light, not in darkness. Darkness is where we were from. We're to walk in the light. Who is the light? Jesus is the light. And if we're walking close to him, we will by default be in the light. So we're to live our lives walking closely to our Savior. And then lastly, he says you need to walk in wisdom. And what is the wisest thing that you can do? It is giving control of your life to the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells every child of God. The smartest, wisest thing you can do is to, is to render control, give the reins, give the wheel to the Holy Spirit and allow him to direct your actions, allow him to direct your responses, your wants, your, your uh, words, your thoughts, your pursuits. Just let God control you. Let God lead you. And if it's not where he wants you to be, say no to it. But pull all your eggs in the leadership of the Holy Spirit is the wisest thing that you can do. And when you do this, he will cause us to act a certain way with one another. Paul calls it mutual submission. He says, when you are letting the Holy Spirit lead your life, and I'm letting the Holy Spirit lead my life, then what you'll find is that we begin to think not about what's most important to me, but what's most important to our Savior, our Lord. And then we can begin mutually submitting to one another. No more power trips. No more, I know better than you know. But rather, just submitting my will to Christ and you submitting your will to Christ and we find that we're not arguing as much as we used to anymore. We're not fighting. We're not dividing. We're not mad at each other as much as we have been in the past. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is guiding our life and we find that we're mutually submitting. And when we mutually submit, then we discover that this begins to work out in the home. Wives begin to submit to their husbands that that don't deserve their submission because they don't know any better. They're no smarter. They're they're no more important to God than they are. But they discover that God's uh, creation of structure has put the husband in the place of, of leading, but leading as Christ. And and God says, okay, wives, if you're submitting to the Holy Spirit and you're mutually submitting to one another, then I want you to submit to him. And she's like, I don't think that's a smart thing to do. You don't know him. He says, yes, I do. I know him. And you can trust me with him. You submit to me as you submit to him. You remember Lassie? Lassie's not doing what little Timmy says. Lassie's looking beyond the actor that is little Timmy. And and Lassie is doing what the owner, the trainer is telling her to do. So it looks to everybody else like Lassie's doing what Timmy says, but really Lassie's doing what the trainer says. In the same way, wives can submit to their husbands, not because he deserves it, but because they trust God with him. And the men say, okay, great. Now I get to tell her what to do, and she can she's going to do whatever I tell her. Wrong. He tells husbands, if you're mutually submitting to one another, then what I want you to do is I want you to submit to me, and I want you to love her like Jesus loves the church. 
You say, well, that ought not be too hard, except Jesus took a cross that he did not deserve. Jesus laid down his life when he could have exercised complete and absolute authority, and he allowed broken, sinful creation to brutalize him. Why? For the church. God says, husbands, you need to love her like Jesus loves the church. Give yourself, pour yourself out for her. And what are children to do? Children just do what mom and dad say, okay? And then when you get older, then you can move on. But until then, you just do what mom and dad says. You obey Christ as you do what mom and dad say. And then parents, what are we to do? We're not to provoke them to anger. We're not to to give them a reason to push against us, but rather to love them and to lead them and to discipline them and to nurture them. And then we're to take this to work. And employees are supposed to submit to their employees, uh, to their employers. And employers are supposed to submit to Christ and lead their employees like they're Real people, like they absolutely are on the same plane of humanity and not some grubby little thing on the bottom end of this high uh, desk that you sit at. But rather, you're to treat them with love and you're to mutually submit and work together and recognize structures. And that basically is Ephesians 1 through 6, 9. And then Paul gets to this last point because he says in verse number 10, finally. He's introducing his conclusion. He's bringing it all together with a warning and some very, very important instructions. It's a warning that says this. Christians, followers of Jesus, believers, you need to armor up because we're at war. We are at war. Now, if you've been watching television, you might would say, you got that right, Pastor. We are at war. We're at war with the mobs, and we're at war with the politicians, and we're at war with them folks that think they need to, and we can't, and they ought to, and we shouldn't. We're not at war with them, though it feels like it. It feels very much like that we are constantly at war with other folks, with other groups, with our neighbor who consistently blows the leaves in our yard just to get them out of his. Chad doesn't do that, by the way. He's a good neighbor. We know we're at war. God, through Paul, just wants to remind us who the enemy is. So let's look at Ephesians 6, 10, 11, and 12 this morning. Verse number 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul gives a command to followers of Jesus, and he says, Be strong. Now, his command to be strong feels very much to me like... Your command to me that says, Kevin, be thin. Uh, well, there's a problem. I'm not thin. I, I, I can't just do that, right? And so, so just, hey, maybe for you it's, Nathan, be nice. And Beth goes, mm, I ain't happening. No, no, I'm, you're a nice guy. No, I'm just kidding. Or maybe it's, be smart. 
I, I mean, I, I can't just be... So when you hear this, be strong, most of us are starting to think, okay, what do I got to do in order to be strong? So if, so if I were to say to you, now, there's an enemy out there, you need to be strong. Then chances are great you're going, okay, well, I, I got a bat and I got a shotgun, but no shells. I, I've got a golf club and a membership to the gym. I better go start pumping some iron and find some shells and get my bat and work on my short game. I don't know. I, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to try. I'm going to do what I can do in order to get strong. And that's not what Paul says. In fact, this verb is a passive verb. Now, I don't, I don't share a lot of Greek with you for one primary reason. I don't remember a lot of Greek. Okay, that's the main reason I don't share it with you. But the second is, is a lot of that sometimes is not necessary, and it just makes it look like you know more than you actually do. But this is really kind of neat. Because you hear this, be strong. It is a command, but it is a passive command. And so the hearers would understand that what Paul is actually saying is, Christian, allow yourself to be strengthened. Okay, well, that's a whole lot different than Kevin be thin. It's, Kevin, allow me to trim you up, slim you down. I'm going, I I won't be first in line for that. Because here's what he's saying. I want you to, as Christians, to recognize you need strength, and it is a command to allow yourself to be strengthened. How am I supposed to do that? He says, finally, be strong. Allow yourself to be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Where is this strength coming from? It's coming from the Lord. When we say, who is the Lord, it's very important that we don't just regurgitate the easy answer of, well, that's God. It's, it's different. The Lord is Christ himself. When Paul talks about God the Father, he most often refers to him as God or the Father or the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul refers to the Lord, he almost always is talking about Jesus. And he's already said, you need to understand the kind of power. He says this in in chapter number one. Remember the kind of power that is active and at work in your life. Do you realize those of you who are in Christ, the kind of power that is at your disposal, it's the same power that raised Jesus. Jesus from the dead. Now, I know that seems rather benign because we get so used to talking about the resurrection. But do you realize that it is the resurrection that sets Jesus apart from all other quote-unquote religious leaders? The resurrection is a very big deal. The resurrection power is specific. What sets Jesus apart as the resurrected Savior is active in our lives through Christ, and we're in Him. But Paul says, I want you to allow yourself to be strengthened 
by Jesus himself, who is the source of this power. It's interesting, this word that's translated here in the ESV as strength. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Well, one thing that's interesting about that first is that back in chapter 1, verses 19, Paul uses those three words, strength, uh, power, and might. He uses those strength and, and, and power and might referring to Jesus. And here he's talking about in the strength of his might. This word translated strength has to do with supernatural power. So what Paul is saying is allow yourself to be strengthened with supernatural power. Now, when we think of supernatural power, we probably, if, if there are teenagers in the room, we probably automatically go, okay, supernatural power is the power to be able to fly or to, you know, shoot lightning out of my fingers or, or, or to, to blow on things with this powerful forced breath kind of. No, it's not superpowers. It's supernatural ability. It's, it's outside of human ability. Paul says, look, finally, I need you to allow yourself to be strengthened by Jesus from his supernatural might. And we're going, okay, how, how do I do that? Verse number 11, put on the whole armor of God. How are we to be strengthened through Christ's supernatural power? By putting on the whole armor of God. The strength of Christ is activated when we put on God's armor. Now, Paul is He's, he's constantly using this idea of to put on. And it has the idea of robing oneself. It, it has the notion of, of, of deciding to put something on your body. Everybody here is clothed. That's a good thing. All right? so, so you made a decision. All right? You made a decision to put on what you have on. Some of you decided to do that. Others of you put on what your wife laid out for you. And that's a good thing because you don't match things as good as she does. But you decided to put, you, like, if you had not done that, you would have probably shown up in your pajamas or whatever you slept in. You had to make a conscious decision to set these aside and put those on. That's what Paul is saying. You can be strengthened with the supernatural ability of Jesus, and you're going to need it. And it's a command. I'm not telling you that this is an option. You need this strength. You need this might. You need this ability. And the only way that you're going to access it is by putting on the armor of God. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what is this armor? What are the pieces, the helmet, the breastplate, the shield, the sword, all of those that you're very familiar with. We're going to talk about it. Today, we just want to settle on the idea that you've been commanded, if you're a follower of Jesus, to be strengthened. 
It's not an option. It's not a, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a member at Planet Fitness, and they've got these classes for your core, and they start at, at 9.30 and 11 on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's a part of my membership, but I choose not to do it. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul's not saying you've got the ability to be strengthened if that would be cool for you. He's saying, no, be strong. Allow yourself to be strengthened. And here's how you do it. You put on the armor of God. Now, think back with me. Those of you who have been here through the whole Ephesians series, starting off the bat, in in chapter 1, verse number 3, Paul is praising God who has blessed. I haven't haven't done this motion. Some of you you have seen this motion. You know what this is. You you know what this is the pile of, right? Because I made this, this pile that stacked this high. God has blessed you who are in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. God has provided all of the benefits and things you need in order to do and accomplish what he has called you to do and to be. God's got everything you need. It's not like, well, I'd love to do this, but I just don't have the resources. I just don't have the time. I just don't have the money. I just don't have the ability. When it comes to living out your faith as a child of God, when it comes to doing and being everything that God has commanded you, whether it's as a witness to Christ, whether it is enduring suffering as a as a good soldier, whether it's being a a Christ-honoring husband, whether it's being a submissive wife or an obedient child or an honorable employee or a good uh, employer, God's given and provided everything you need to do it. And it's kept in his presence and it's accessed through your connection with him. You just got to embrace it. So when we stumble and bumble in our Christian life and we're just always like, I just can't get my feet off off the ground. I just keep falling and fumbling. It's not because we can't. It's because we aren't. Because God's provided everything we need. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just trying to help you. Not to think that it's, you know, well, it's up to me and I'm just trying to do what God said. But I guess I'm just a loser because I can't. None of us can. But with what he's provided, we can accomplish everything he's called us to do and to be. Especially when we've given control of our life to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is dressing us and leading us and pointing us, he's gathering the things we need and he's just leading us along and all we've got to do is follow in the light, acting in love, walking in wisdom, being in unity, submitting to one another. You see how Ephesians works? And so here's what he says. He says, I've got an armor that you need. You just got to put it on. It is a spiritual armor. It is spiritual. It is perfectly fit for you. It's not like Grayson trying to put on my shirt and going, okay, this is a dress. Or or trying to wear my pants. Grayson, don't ever be able to wear my pants. But so he says, it's too big for me. It doesn't fit. The opposite would be way more funny. Me trying to wear Grayson's stuff. The way the spiritual armor is tailor fit. Like God's armor for you, it's, it's not going to be like David trying to put on Saul's big old armor and going, I can't fight in this. No, God's armor for you to fight this enemy that you have is tailor-made for you. 
Like you put it on and you just go, wow, this fits me. But you got to put it on. It's spiritual. It fits perfectly. And it's in perfect working order. When I went the, the couple of years that I did play football, I wasn't one of the stars, okay? I wasn't one of the better players, all right? So if you just imagine me with a little less confidence and a little more baby fat, and that's what I was in middle school, high school. Okay, so when it came to passing out the uniforms and the equipment, they weren't as interested in me having the helmet that fit just perfect. You know, they weren't interested in me having all the pads that were in right proportion. So when I put my uniform on, I may have one big pad here and one small one there because I kind of got what was left over, right? And you could tell it just didn't fit me real well because I wasn't really all that important to the exercise of what was going to happen on the gridiron. You know, I got in for a few minutes, but not very much. It's not that way with the armor. It fits tailored, and it's in perfect working order. It's not any leftover. It's not from the clearance rack. God's spiritual armor is exactly what you need and what I need. And Paul says you can be strengthened you can, you can be filled with this power that is available, and it's supernatural, it's beyond you, but you got to decide to put on what Daddy has laid out for you. We're going to talk about the pieces next week. You go, okay, so what is, if it's a spiritual armor, and it's not something I can actually see, but it, it's, it's serving a fun. Then, then what in the world do I need this for? You need it to stand against your spiritual enemy. Now, question number one. Are you a follower of Jesus? That's the first question. You can answer that in your heart, in your mind. I'm not going to be, although I am asking the teenagers every Wednesday night, I'm asking them, and I'm asking them to give me a response. Are you a follower of Jesus? In just a few weeks, I'm going to ask them to probably start standing up if they're a follower of Jesus. I, I don't know. I just think they need to build that courage, and I want to know what they think and what they're doing. Okay. Are you a follower of Jesus? If the answer to that is yes, then I want to ask you, who is your biggest enemy? Now, be honest. Don't go to Sunday school on this. You know where the passage is going. I want you to tell, or not tell me, that would be embarrassing. I would want you to, in your heart, who is your mortal enemy? And God says, it ain't her. God says, it ain't them. You're wrong about that. He says, I want you to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, there's so much thought in our culture about the devil. So much about Satan has been informed by, uh, I believe, Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. It's, I think it's the Iliad. So much of it has been formed by Hollywood. So much of it has been formed by art from centuries past. Really, there's not 
There's not a whole lot that the Scripture says about Satan that can give us those big pictures. And much of what it does say kind of goes contrary to the way we like to think about him as some heinous, snake-looking, you know, drooling with green breath and yellow eyes and, and that suit with the tail and the point on the end and the horns. And all. And that's not how God describes him at all. In fact, he's described as an angel of light. Uh, We believe that Satan was indeed a created angel who in some way or time was allowed to choose in much the same way that Adam and Eve were allowed to choose. And Satan chose to take arms against God, to take or attempt to take his place. And obviously, you know, You cannot take arms against the creator, the sovereign, the only God, the I am. And so that very, we understand, beautiful angel of light became the twisted, broken, evil, wicked one who is the devil. And God says, you need to let me strengthen you. And the way you do that is by putting on my spiritual armor, part of the stuff I have prepared for you. It fits perfect. It's in perfect working order. And when you have it on, you will be able to stand against the schemes of your enemy that is spiritual. And he's the devil. This idea of standing it's a defensive stance. You've, you've heard folks say, you know, I just, I'm just so charged up. I mean, like after that, ain't no grave going to hold this body down. You just, yeah, I've heard people say, you know, I just want to charge hell with a water pistol. That's funny. But it's not, not very theologically accurate, okay? We've not been called to charge hell with a water pistol. In fact, The Scripture's already said that the gates of hell cannot stand against the redeemed because of whose we are and who we have and what unites us together. God says, I don't want you to charge the enemy. The enemy's already defeated. And he knows it on resurrection morning. He knew for a fact that he has been defeated. Hell and death have been defeated in Christ. So he knows he's doomed. But on his way out, he's going to do everything he can to trip you up, to knock you down, and to convince you of as many lies as he can. All I need you to do, all I want you to do is to stand against him. I just want you to stand in resistance. You put my armor on, you will be absolutely effective at standing. These schemes, what are they? They're strategies designed to enslave, oppress, and destroy through lies and deceit. Gavin, throw up John 8, 44, if you will. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, You don't know my father. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Remember Cain, Abel, 
at that scene. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What Satan does is lie to you and deceive you and twist the truth so that you will think and act on things that are contrary to what God's Word has plainly said, to what God is leading you to do and to be. Now, this verse right here, this idea does not mean, like many that I've come across, I've come across folks that anytime something bad happens, they say, boy, that old devil, he's just at, look, I, I don't think that scripturally that you can pin every negative event in your life on Satan. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they are, there, there are uh, three that are mentioned, I believe, is in 1 John that we wrestle with. The world, the system of the world, of which Satan is the, the, the prince of this world, yes. But then there's that other one, is the flesh. And I think that we spend the majority of our time, probably 99% of our time, wrestling with our own flesh. That sin that is resident within us, that stuff that pops into my mind, that's not the devil on, on one shoulder and the angel on the other. That, that, that's great in cartoons, but that's not how it works. You have sin resident in you, even if you're a follower of Jesus. You've been broken from enslavement. You've been set free from its power, but you haven't been relieved from its presence. And sin is resident within you. And we spend most of our time wrestling with our flesh. Here's what the enemy does. The enemy likes to put little lie traps in our way to entice our flesh to follow what it would normally do because we look at that and we decide to believe that to be the best way to go and to be because it, it makes sense to us naturally when God's Word says something entirely different. And so what the enemy tries to do is to lay bait. The tempter lays bait that would cause our flesh to want to go in that direction we know we probably shouldn't. And he does that in order to enslave, oppress, and destroy. He's got those who don't know Jesus as Savior. They're slaves to, to, to his scheme. They're slaves to their sin. But followers of Jesus, he loves to knock us off our feet any way he can. Just because something bad happens doesn't mean it's him. But he's there, and he's powerful, and he's way more powerful than you. He is a powerful, created being. I remember I was in camp. I'll just tell you a little bit. I'll give you a little bit of a, of a secret. So I was at camp. I was a teenager, uh, and I really thought myself a lot tougher than I really was. And so these kids, it seemed to happen every week. The kids would always, you know, one kid would come running up, and he'd say, hey, I just saw red glowing eyes in the woods. I don't know what it was about red eyes. It was always red, red glowing. And then all the kids, they'd be crying. They'd be scared to go back to the camp. It seemed like every week week the red eye story well this particular week it was long into the summer I was tired of the 
red eye story, okay? And I just got my campers rent, and I mean, I started preaching to them. I'm 16, 17 years. I started preaching to them about how Satan was defeated. He can't touch you, and you're, you, what you have in Christ, better what he got. He can't even, he can't even bother you. I mean, I was getting on it about how, how powerless he was. We all went to bed that night, and I laid down. And what I think is, here's what I think. You know how that little interaction went with Job where, where Satan was moving around and God says, hey, have you thought about, you know, and they had that conversation. I don't know this, but I, I think it could have happened where, you know, Satan heard all I was saying in pride to those kids. God heard all I was saying in pride to those kids. And I just imagine that one of the little demons went to my Savior and went, you're you, you going to let me mess with him a little bit, aren't you? And I just imagine, yeah, go on ahead. Well, I'm telling you, I've never been so frightened in all of my life. In the middle of the night, I could not stop my heart from racing with fear. And I had no idea what I was afraid of. I didn't get a wink of sleep that night. Sat up with a buddy who was gracious enough to sit and read scripture with me. And when the sun came up, my blood pressure went down. I moved forward and I went, okay, Lord, I won't ever act like that again. Satan is a powerful being. But he's nowhere in the stratosphere of who God is. The world would like to say that there's this cosmic religious battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil, and they are in a battle. And all of those forces are infinitely more powerful than we are in our humanity. But the enemy is a created being and subordinate to a sovereign, all-powerful God. So it's not between, no, it's God is sovereign and Satan is a reality and a very powerful one in our life. One for which we need strength and one for which we need supernatural strength. And God's provided for that in the armor. So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It means we can't address this like we would an earthly enemy. If if we were going against another army, we would try to find bigger guns and more tanks and and more ships and planes. But this is not a physical. We, We can't go to Planet Fitness and get stronger than this bully. It's not a physical enemy. It's a spiritual enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, and here he goes, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, there have been a lot of folks that have told a lot of things about how in this verse, we see the, you know, We see the generals, and then we see the colonels, and then we see the the captains and the privates. And I don't think that's what God is giving us here. But here's what I do think he's showing us, is that these enemies are well organized. And there's plenty of them. You're not going to hide from this enemy. 
This is not an enemy that you can just huddle up in your room and, and pour some salt around this, or whatever it is they do, and, and, then, and then douse yourself in water that was blessed, and then he can't, no, none of that. That's silly. What Paul is saying is that your enemy is vast and powerful and well-organized and knows how you tick. He knows who you are, but he's going to throw as many things as he can in front of you to try to pull you away from the one that you're following, the one that he knows full well you have everything you need to be successful and obedient in, and he's going to pour out all he can on you to knock you off that trail, to get you discouraged, to make you mad with somebody, to cause you to say, I don't ever want to be around those folks again. They're a bunch of hypocrites. You hear how the enemy works? And he's powerful and he's organized and you need strength. Satan has no conscience, no compassion, no remorse, and no morals. He feeds on pain and anguish and filth. Kent Hughes from his commentary on Ephesians. And if these enemies are ignored, and if God's spiritual armor is left on our bed because we just don't feel the need to put it on, if we ignore this warning, Satan will wreak havoc in your life. He'll wreak havoc through deception, and it's unnecessary. And you know what will you know happen? It'll happen at home. When we don't put the armor on, so what is the armor? Just come back next week. We'll talk about all of it. But it's all those benefits. and ble- When we put that armor, if we leave it off, where's he going to wreak havoc? At home. Through deception. Well, she's not doing what she ought to do. Me mad. Well, he's a jerk. He probably is, but that's not how God wants you to react with him. It's going to happen at church where you really don't want to see some folks coming. You, really? That would happen at church? You would say, well, boy, I hope so-and-so don't show up. Would you really? Come on, be honest. Yeah, he'll wreak havoc at work. He'll wreak havoc in politics and convince you that somehow that realm is our answer. He'll convince you in your relationships and deceive you and wreck you. He'll break our unity. He'll destroy our holiness. He'll drag us away from love. He'll pull us out of the light He'll tell us submission is weak and that we need to be the captain of our own life rather than anybody else driving. We have a spiritual enemy, people. If you know Jesus as Savior, he's very, very dangerous. So let's recap. Powerful, wicked, spiritual forces are in active opposition to God's redeemed. Are you a follower of Jesus? I hope you are. If you're, if you're not, today would be a great day for you just to submit to the fact that I'm a sinner, I'm broken, and I can't fix it. I've tried, and it doesn't work, but I believe what God has said about his son Jesus 
who put on flesh and lived in this world so that he might take on my sin through his death and then in his resurrection prove that my sin had been paid for. It's by faith, believing. It's by trusting completely in my heart, with my mouth, embracing Jesus as risen and as my Savior and Lord. If you don't know Jesus, today would be a great day to receive him, to trust him completely by faith. But if you know Jesus, you've got a powerful, spiritual, wicked enemy in opposition to you. Number two, God provides for believers, his redeemed, in order to stand strong against our powerful, spiritual enemy. And it's his spiritual armor that we put on. When believers put on the armor that God provides, Christ strengthens them with his supernatural ability to stand successful. You say, man, that just doesn't, that just doesn't feel as offensive. As I, I just feel like that if, if, if all I do as a Christian is just stand against the enemy, Man, that, that might could cost me my life. Sure might. But what did the song say? There ain't no grave going to hold that body down. Yeah, but they might make fun of me. If, if all I do is put on, and I know you're going to talk about the armor, and I, Pastor Kevin, I've seen that armor. I've been to vacation Bible school. I've seen them dressed up in it. We've talked about it. I know sword and the fish, shield of faith and the bread. I get it. If I just start thinking about that kind of stuff, that just doesn't feel powerful enough to face the enemies that I've got at work. They're not your enemies. And when we let them become our enemies... You know what we've done? We've bought into the lie. And now I don't act toward them in love because they're my enemy. And I'm not working to try to lead them toward their best. You say, but they treat me bad. I know. They're broken. But they're not your enemy. So what you're saying is, is... uh, I need, I need to calm down about the stuff going on around me in this world. And I'm, I might not need to be so irate. Or at least I might not need to keep thinking that somehow things in this world are having an impact on eternity. Christ has an impact on this world for eternity. He's called us to do and to be his representatives. And we can accomplish that with everything God's provided. And we can stand against the enemy who's going to come at us night and day. If we'll put on what God has made for us, fit perfect, in perfect work and order, to stand. Today would be a great day to say, okay, Lord, that's what I want to do. I want to stand against the enemy. And I'm going to understand that that's my enemy. And I'm going to trust you.
and I'm going to do what you say. And I'm going to come back next week and find out about the armor. Of course, you can go ahead and read it, and then we can just come back next week and talk about it. What do you say? Let's stand together. Don't be discouraged, Christian. Your enemy is powerful, more powerful than you. But greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. We have Christ, the risen Savior, as our Lord, our big brother, and as the provider of our strength that is needed. Let's decide that's what we want. Let's decide that's who we're going to keep following. Till he returns, because he is, for his glory. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. God, we thank you for your instruction, reminding us that we have a powerful enemy in opposition to you. He's not more powerful than you, but he is more powerful than us. When we try to live in our own strength, he'll knock us down. He'll enslave us. He'll oppress us. He'll delight in our pain. He'll, he'll, he'll throw filth at us, hoping that we'll take the bait. He can't be ignored. We cannot ignore our enemy. We're thankful that you provide for us, Lord. We're thankful that you provide your spiritual armor so that we can stand against this powerful enemy. So I pray that you'll give us the courage to want that. I know that's abstract. We, we, we want things that we can touch and feel and, and see. But God, I pray that you will enlighten our minds that we might recognize that in order to, to fight a spiritual battle, we need spiritual armor. We thank you that it's provided. We ask that you'll give us the courage to want it and to wear it to stand we love you we thank you for the holiday weekend the opportunity hopefully for many to be able to rest do something fun with their family or i just uh, get some things caught up i pray for safety of those that are on the road those that are traveling god i pray that you'll bring us back together next week ready to go ready to put on every piece so that we might be effective where we might stand. God, we look forward to everything you have in store for us. We love you and we thank you. First in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.